This is Made to Conquer, a podcast designed to inspire you to have a deep relationship with Jesus. Jesus told us to make every effort to enter through the narrow door so that when we stand before him, we hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Hello, everyone. This is Tiana Shoei, and welcome to the podcast Made to Conquer. Thank you guys for being here for yet another episode. It is truly a privilege to be a part of the body of Christ. We are one team. We build each other up, and and it's amazing, you know, just like our physical bodies. When our physical body, when one part of our physical body is doing well, it helps to nourish the other parts of our physical body. And when one part of our physical body is not doing well, it, it impacts us all. And so we do have an impact on each other. I mean, think about it. Even if it's something as insignificant as kicking something with your pinky toe, <laughs> those few minutes, or even if you do longer damage of hurting your pinky toe can have a significant impact on the rest of your body. Even though you may not feel it in your head, it, it, it definitely brings you down. And that's just how we are as a body of Christ is one part is built up. The other parts are built up. So thank you for being a part of this journey. And again, thank you to those of you who take the time every month to support this podcast. It really does mean a lot to me. It helps cover the costs of everything and allow me to sneak out of work a little bit or, you know, take extra time in the evenings to make this podcast. It does take several hours to put together a podcast and I do it all on my own time, all by myself. I'm 100% solo. I mean, I'm sure that you're shocked by the quality of this, (laughs) that I don't have a professional production team. But uh, thank you so much for for your part in that. And I also just want to thank Butterfly Box. You know, it was interesting. I was sitting in bed the other night going through my gratitude journal and reading my nightly devotional. And I started to stop and think about the things that have changed in my life since Butterfly Box has been a part of my life. And I was thinking just just in, in so many different ways. I've got encouraging pieces of art up all over the house. I've got Bible devotions that I access to, 100 Bible promises, journals that I otherwise wouldn't have had that are incredible. I've got daily devotionals, books that I have read, it really has been a an influential part of my spiritual growth. And if you know Stephanie, the founder and owner of and CEO of Butterfly Box, if you knew her heart, you would know that she her number one goal is to see you grow in your faith with Jesus. And that's why I love what they're doing at Butterfly Box is it's just a great Christian organization that not only does the stuff that they provide in there go to support other Christian organizations, but it's designed to help you grow in your faith. It's not just to have nice stuff around your house. You know, while that is one of the perks, I have a couple of t-shirts I love to wear. And like I said, the hand towels are nice. I've enjoyed the I've enjoyed the body care products. I love the lemon soap that came in a couple bo- boxes ago. While those things are nice, the real benefit has come from just the tools and unique things that I otherwise wouldn't have known were around, especially in today's world where Christian bookstores just don't exist anymore. I spent my teens working at a Christian bookstore and I I you know, I used to have access to all this stuff. I used to walk through the aisles. I loved that. You kind of get that little little peak of that in Butterfly Box. Stephanie works really hard to curate meaningful items in that box. And so if you haven't taken the time to get one for yourself or buy one for a friend, do take advantage of that. And I have a link to it on my website. There's also a link on the this podcast notes. 
If you use the code Tiana Show Ibogo and you get a three month subscription, the first month you get two boxes. So you get buy one, get one free. And so you get four boxes total in that three month subscription. And the first month you get two unique boxes. So it's a really great deal. And you won't want to miss out on this. I just, as I was looking through all the things that have blessed my life since I've been a part of the Butterfly Box team, it, it, it was really kind of mind blowing sitting down and putting all that together. So with that said, let's jump into today's episode. Now, as usual, when I sit down and I start praying about it, and I'm like, Lord, you know what? What do you want me to talk about? He usually says, Sienna, what am I teaching you? And today's topic is going to be about walking, what it means to walk with God. And the reason that I, I landed here is there's just having just gone to Noah's Ark a couple of weeks ago in Kentucky, the Ark Encounter. You know, one of the things that a lot of people don't realize, they know Enoch walked with God, but they don't realize that the Bible also equally described Noah as walking with God. And I started thinking about that. And I started asking myself this question. If somebody were to come to me and say, what does it mean to be a Christian in today's world? The answer would be to walk with God. But what does that actually mean? I think sometimes, when, and I get asked that question a lot on TikTok, what does it mean to be a Christian? Like, what do I have to do to be a Christian? What, what do I have to do to be saved? How do I know that I'm saved? I think how do I know that I'm saved is, is it's a good question to ask. The Bible tells us that you're filled in, with the Holy Spirit and you're marked with the, the Holy Spirit. That's how you know you're saved. How do I get saved? Well, that's, you know, I think everybody is looking for a formula. I think they just say, okay, just tell me what I have to do to get to heaven. <laughs> just tell me what, they, just tell me what boxes to check. And I can't, I can't give you those boxes to check because that's not how this, that's not how God designed us to work. But we can't talk about the principles that God lays out for us in his word and the things that distinguish and set apart those that walk with him, those that are his. So what does it mean to walk with God today in the 21st century in 2022, where we're beginning to see shifts happening in the world around us and Bible, you know, foreshadows of Bible prophecy beginning to occur. What is it? What does it mean to walk with God in today's world? And with, you know, the rise in evil that we are seeing just the normalization of sexual misconduct, immorality. I don't even know what to call it anymore these days. Just horrifically disgusting, grotesque sexual behavior. The way that the world is losing their ever-loving mind over the fact that it is very likely that Roe v. Wade is going to be overturned, which is so multifaceted. I'm not going to get into it now, but it, it goes. The, the whole ruling is really about the fact that the Supreme Court has, for many, many years, decades, centuries, actually, I should say, because it's been in place since the late 1700s, overreached what the original founders of the constitution intended. And if you want to learn more, Hillsdale College has free online courses. I will put a link to them in my, in my show notes. You can just watch at your leisure. College professors teach you about the constitution, about the government. All, there are all kinds of different topics you can take for free. I just saw in my email today that they, they're having a new one on C.S. Lewis's Christianity. C.S. Lewis was, by the way, one of the most brilliant minds around Christian apologetics, but understanding God's word. I've read many of his books, Mere Christianity, The Great Divorce, uh, Screwtape Letters, just to name a few of his nonfiction books. Yeah, <laughs> I had to go through right because yeah, he wrote a lot of fiction, but those are his nonfiction books. And, you know, it, we, if, if you want to learn more about 
why this is such an important ruling and why things like packing the court are such so problematic is it's essentially the way for the extreme left to bypass the legislative system and use the court to rule from the bench or to to legislate from the bench which is not the purpose of the supreme court but all that aside the fact that it's not just what bill clinton used to say you know we were going to have rare but legal and safe abortions, it, they're not rare anymore. We're, we're 67 million that we know of aborted babies in this country. That's not rare. That's far from rare. And these very, very, very extreme anomaly type scenarios where you have something like a tubal pregnancy that is truly a non-viable pregnancy because it is tubal, that is an entirely different conversation. But here's what I will say on that. There's two sides to that coin. I have friends who were told by their doctors to abort their baby because their baby was not viable or their life was at risk. And they chose to trust God and not the medical world. And they now have healthy, beautiful, thriving children as a result. So this whole idea that there are medically necessary abortions is true, but it is so far less common than you think. And even when the medical experts say that you should get an abortion, very rarely is it something you should do. Now, anyway, I'm not here to, to, to push this issue. We are made in the image of God and Satan loves to destroy babies. I don't know why he's thirsty for their blood, but he is. And this is something we've seen since, you know, since Pharaoh killed babies <laughs> back in Egypt. And then we've seen the worship of Molech continue on from there. There's just been this, this unfortunate love of evil to kill babies. And the, you know, the fact that, that there's now people losing their mind over the fact that this would go to the legislatures in the States and be removed from the Supreme court, which is, it never belonged there. In fact, I think one could argue that if you were going to look at the constitutionality of abortion, it should be illegal. <laughs> it, it, the Constitution says, you know, to, to pr protect the, the opening argument of the Constitution says that the purpose of the Constitution has many different purposes, but one of them is to protect, you know, the future, those of the future. Well, killing them is certainly not a way of protecting them. Anyway, that's a whole nother story for another day. I'm not a legal expert and I'm not going to go there. But my point being, how what, what does it mean to be a Christian in these days and walk with God? So that's what we're going to talk about today. And I'm really excited about it because we're going to go through a lot of scripture as usual. Don't worry, I'll put all the scriptures into the notes and we're going to we're going to dive into what God's word actually says about this because he here's the thing that I really want the heart of of you to to understand when we wrap up today's session. We are the bride of Christ. What it means to walk with God is to be restored back to where we were before the fall, which is intimate, loving, passionate, tender, kind, romantic, and not in a sexual sense. And we're going to see that as we dive into the Song of Solomon's and the Songs of Solomon today. But we should be so excited about the fact that we are betrothed to Jesus and that there is going to come a time when the father says, go get your bride. And we are brought into the marriage supper of the lamb. This should be something that causes our hearts to cry out for every day and something that we we just check ourselves and say, am I ready? Am I ready? Am I prepared for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Am I a bride fit for the King? And that's really the question we're asking ourselves through this as we understand what it means to walk with God. So let us, let's open this time with prayer and then jump right into God's word. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your beautiful word. We thank you that in your word, we have the ability to see not only who you are 
and what you created for us, but Father, more importantly, what you redeemed and brought back for us. And so, Lord, we we just give this time to you. We we give all everything. I give I give everything I'm thinking, everything I put together. I, I give all this to you. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would lead this time. And I pray for everybody who's listening right now, Lord. Any any distraction, anything that would keep them from hearing what you have to say, Lord, I just pray that that would just be pushed to the side, Father, and that Holy Spirit, you would do what you do so well, that you would just speak and that we would have ears to hear and eyes to see. Lord, we only see in part, we only know in part, and we only understand in part. But Father, you tell us that if we seek you, we will find you if we seek you with all of our hearts. And Lord, that's just really what we long to do. We long to come in this time and understand what it means to walk with you. Lord, we want to be a bride prepared for a groom who is (laughs) indescribably incredible, perfect, loving, the spotless lamb, the one who bears the scars on his hands and feet for our wrongdoing and our misdeeds, the one of whom it is said his hair is white as snow and his eyes like a blazing fire and his voice like the sound of many rushing waters. Lord, King Jesus is is the one whom our heart should long for. And Lord, if we don't know what that means, if we've lost our way, or if we've never understood the intimacy that we can have with you, I just ask that right now that that veil would be lifted from our hearts and from our eyes, and that you would invite us into understand what it means to walk with you, invite us into understand what it means to be your bride, to be your church, and invite us into and understand what it means that, that now we are your dwelling place. Father, we just ask that this would be your time, Holy Spirit, that you would lead this. And I give this to you and I ask this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. We were designed to walk with God. I love this small excerpt, this kind of small glimpse we get. I think sometimes the reason why we don't see more is because if we understood how far we fell, (laughs) it would be hard to appreciate what we have. I, you know, I, I live, I live on some property and I have woods in my back and I love to just walk through there or walk through the countryside on the roads around my house and, and see the sunlight kind of glistening through the trees and watch the, the, we have a lot of cow pastures and watch the cows graze. And I think to myself, this is so incredible. If this is what the fallen version looks like, I can't even imagine what the, what the, what the perfect version of Eden was like. And then I run into a spider web and then a mosquito bites me. And then I look down and I'm standing in poison ivy. (laughs) And then I'm reminded that while this is beautiful, what we had before was so much better. And so in Revelation, excuse me, Revelation, I got my bookends wrong (laughs) in Genesis, not Revelation. In Genesis chapter three, verse eight, we get just this glimpse of what it was like before the fall. And it says, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. That right there summarizes the fall of mankind. God was walking in the garden in the cool of the day looking for Adam. But because we've sinned, there is now 
this part of us that hides from God. Whereas before, and we can kind of infer from the text that this must've been a pretty regular thing because as soon as Eve and Adam heard the sound, they went, oh, that's God. We got to go hide. (laughs) So they must've known what it was to know him and walk with him in the cool of the day in the garden. That is what part of what we lost. And we're going to dig into this a little bit more in the garden is we lost that ability to walk with God. But let's see kind of how, you know, going back that this first point is we were designed to walk with God. Let's see how even after the fall, this is something that walking with God is a theme we see recurring throughout the scripture. So in Genesis chapter five, we have the story of Enoch and starting in verse 22, it says, Enoch walked faithfully faithfully with God for 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. So there's something there. We see that there was something about how Enoch walked with God that had God say, hey, kid, you know what? Come on home. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if it was that God loved his presence. The Bible doesn't say much more than that so much, or that God was just delighted in him that he spared him from the agony of death. Or if God just said, you know what? I think your home now is here. And, and, you know, I, one of the music artists that I talk about a lot on here and that I listen to pretty much exclusively is Rich Mullins. And I, I could, if you want to get a glimpse into what worship is like in heaven, just listen to any of Rich Mullins songs, his, his song home. The color green here in America, creed, step by step, everywhere I go, I see you. Hold me, Jesus. I mean, just any of these songs, they just take you to another level where you understood that Rich's home was in heaven. There's no questioning when you listen, especially listen to the lyrics of the word home and just sit down if you get a chance to listen to Rich Mullins and song home. His home was in heaven. His heart was in heaven and he died young. And part of me wonders if God just said, you know what? You belong here. You, there isn't a place for you on planet earth anymore because of how he walked with God. When you, when you listen to Rich Mullins music, I've never come across another worship leader or music artist in the Christian world whose lyrics come anywhere near the depth of Rich Mullins music. There was something about the way he walked with God and, and it was demonstrated not just in his music, but in his life. And if you know his story, it's very profound. I long to have a life much more like Rich than mine in that Rich didn't know how much money he made. He had all his money sent to his church and he 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 took just what the average American income was home. So it, at that time, it was a, a little under $30,000 a year. That's all he lived on his entire life. He never knew how much money he made. He lived on a Native American reservation and he taught the children music. He literally poured out his life like a drink offering before the Lord. He kept nothing for himself. He would go into concerts barefoot and with just a white t-shirt on because he had given his clothes away to people on the road as he was walking to his concert. I mean, this man was a man who truly understood what it was to live like Jesus. And I, I love his, I love his music and I love his stories. And so I, I often think that Rich Mullins, although his, he, he did die in a car accident. He was not just disappeared like Enoch, but you wonder sometimes when, when you see young people die, if it's just because God's like, you know what, your home really is here. And I pray for that all the time. I would love to have that kind of heart. I would love to have that kind of life where I've abandoned any love for this world, not my responsibility. And and I take my stewardship very seriously, but my heart is and everything that matters to me is in heaven. (laughs) Oh, that that would be said of us. Right. And so we see, we see another story of this in Genesis chapter six. Most people don't understand that this was also said of Noah. 
In Genesis chapter six, verse nine, it says, this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. And he walked faithfully with God. Like Enoch, he walked with God, righteous and blameless. What does Jesus say? The pure in heart shall see God. (laughs) Blameless, the pure in heart. Now in Genesis, again, we're still in Genesis chapter 17, we get this really cool glimpse where God says to Abraham, he says in Genesis chapter 17, verse one, I, I am God almighty, El Shaddai, walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abraham fell face down. Walk before me faithfully. So did Abraham walk before God faithfully? Well, we know in Genesis, now that was in 17. Now we're going to go all the way to Genesis 48. And we're going to read in Genesis chapter 48, starting verse 15. Then he blessed Joseph and said, this is Jacob saying this, may the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked faithfully, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, And so in other words, as Jacob is blessing Joseph, he says, Isaac and Abraham walked faithfully before God. We were designed to walk with God. Now, initially that design was in a perfect garden (laughs) and we were sinless, but then sin came into the world and separated us. So we have just one last scripture before I wrap up kind of this theme of the fact that we were designed to walk with God comes from, and most of you are probably thinking this in the back of your mind, Micah chapter six, verse eight, he has shown you, oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you to act justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. So In Ephesians chapter two, verse one, we understand when Paul writing to the Ephesians says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin, which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, those, the the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. I just want to pause there really quickly, because I think one of the things that is probably one of the most misunderstood and probably probably promulgated lies is that there's this kind of gray area in life. I was out hiking one day and the Lord had a divine appointment for me. He's done this many times where I just end up in a place and, and he has somebody he wants me to talk to. And I ended up hiking with this older gentleman and we were talking and he was a wonderful man. We, we looked at flowers, listened to the birds, but the Holy Spirit just kept you know, impressing upon me to share the gospel with him. And through the course of our, our few hours we spent together hiking, it became evident that the Holy Spirit had been witnessing to him for years. He had Christian after Christian after Christian friend. He, had, he knew the gospel well, but he said to me, he just said, but I don't understand why I have to surrender to Jesus and get his righteousness are my good deeds not enough. And I thought to myself, you know, the Holy Spirit kind of had me talk about, no, you have to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. But later, as I thought about that hike and how this man ultimately rejected Jesus, I thought to myself, why would you want to be responsible for that? Like, why, why would you want to bury, why would you want to bear that? And it's, and it's just, it's just that part of us that doesn't want to surrender to the Lordship of anything or anyone other than ourselves. But what, what Paul is saying here is 
you were dead in your transgressions and sin. So our separation from God not only prevented us from having that ability to walk in 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 the Garden of Eden with Him, but it 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 killed us. It gave us it, death. Began to reign in our mortal bodies, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. What people want to think is like there's this gray area, right? There's evil over here. And then there's Christianity over here. And I can just somehow find this middle ground and be good enough in the middle ground. And if I'm good enough in the middle ground, that should be enough. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches you are either under the lordship of Jesus Christ, or you are under the rule of the kingdom of darkness. There is no gray zone. There is no neutral zone. And I think so many people want to think that they can live in that space and end up okay, or they, they're very lukewarm Christians or Christians who have, who've strayed very far from the Lord. And they think, well, I mean, I said the sinner's prayer, so I, I, I should be saved. I should be good. I'm not living like those people, but I'm not, I mean, I'm not really, God is not truly the sitting on the throne of my heart, but I'm good. I do good things. I go to church. I give money to the poor. I, I do good things. So that should be enough. And what Paul is showing us here is no, there's, it is a black and white issue. It is a, it is a black and white issue. There's no gray here. You are either under the control of the world. And by the way, Satan likes to, Satan likes to pretend like he does good things. This is what second Corinthians chapter 11 tells us when it says that he masquerades as an angel of light, or you are under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You belong to him and he sits on the throne of your heart, meaning you love him with everything. And he has complete authority in your life and you will be obedient to what he tells you to do. You were listening to his voice. As I listen, as I'm reading through the gospel of John, Jesus so often says, why won't you listen (laughs) to what I'm saying to you? Having, you don't get to come to God on your own terms and come up with this formulaic thing. This is why I'm saying, what does it mean to walk with God? What does it mean to be a Christian in today's world? There's no formula. Yes, there are things like you should be reading your Bible. You should be praying, obviously. You should be spending time in fellowship with other Christians. You should have a private worship life and a corporate worship life. But those are just those are just parts of what is manifesting in your life when you are a Christian. In other words, those are the things that come out. I don't read my Bible to check it off my list and say, okay, God, I showed up. I read my Bible today. Check. Okay. I've done my worship song. Check. Okay. I went to church. Check. No. I read my Bible because I want to sit in the presence of the Lord and sit at his feet and hear from him today. I go to church because I want to spend time in fellowship with other Christians and in time dedicated, committed to just being in his presence. I have private worship with him because I long to connect with him and and just give and just sing out the gratitude for his goodness in my life and focus on who he really is and cleanse myself of this darkness that of the world that we live in. Those things are byproducts of what God is doing on the inside of us. They are not what make us Christians. They are what demonstrate that God is is seated on the throne of our hearts, that we are walking with him. And so we, the fall created the separation. We were designed to walk with God. That is what he longs for from us. But then we fell and we became dead and we followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air and the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. But the good news is it doesn't end there. Because even though 
sin broke our ability to, to walk in the garden with God, Jesus restored that. So I just took a couple snippets from the book of John because Jesus talks a lot about who he is and what he's doing in the book of John. And I, I love how John captures this. And since I read the book of Revelation on a recurring basis, the, the gospel of John and the book of Revelation were written by the same person, the apostle John, who was James' brother in the stories, the sons of thunder. And if you know the gospels intimately, intimately, you know that Jesus did a lot of things with Peter, James, and John that he didn't do with anybody else. So he healed the little girl with just Peter, James, and John. The Mount of Transfiguration was just Peter, James, and John. So there was kind of a special relationship God had, or Jesus had with Peter, James, and John. And so I, I love to read John's gospel because you just get to see this kind of intimate love that John had for Jesus. So in John chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think in them you can have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. What is he saying? To get back to the place like it was in Eden when man and God walked together. In John 6, 47 through 48, very truly, I tell you, I am the one who believes in me has eternal life. I am the bread of life. And again, in, in John chapter six, 62 through 63, Jesus says, then what if you see the son of man ascend to where he was before the spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the spirit and life. So the death that was born in us, that separation, Jesus was saying to his, to the followers and to the disciples and to the religious leaders of the time, I am the life. I am the one who can break death's curse over you. And your death was the consequence of sin, sin's curse, death over you. I can break that over you. I am life. And he says, this, this is how John opens the, the gospel of John. So there's something so profound that happens that is something that I think if, if we don't really read it, we will misunderstand. In the Gospel of Luke 23, 45, the Bible tells us that when Jesus set, gave up his spirit and he died, that the temple curtain was torn from top to bottom. This is such an important thing for us as Christians to understand, because what that symbolizes is that now the ability for us to walk with God, not exactly as it was in the garden, but with the same type of fellowship and with the same type of intimacy that Adam and Eve had, has been restored. Why? Because what was the temple? What was the temple curtain? It was the separation between the Holy of Holies, the most holy place where the Holy Spirit dwelled, where God's presence dwelled, and where the priests would minister. That was the Holy of Holies. So if you understand how the temple has la is laid out, and I've described this a couple of times, you have the most holy place, the Holy of Holies. And in there is the Ark of the Covenant. And there was a very thick curtain. I've been taught that it was about a foot thick that separated the Holy of Holies from where the priests would do their ministering before the Lord, the holy place, not the most holy place. The Holy of Holies was the most holy place, the holy place, right? And on and, and the only time that anybody was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies was the high priest once a year. And he only went in on Yom Kippur after he had gone through the, the, the right the right cleansing process. And he would go in with the, sac the, with the blood and he would sprinkle it on the top of the Ark of the Covenant. That is the only time he was allowed to go in. Now they kept bells on the bottom of his 
on his robe because if he had not properly atoned for and not gone through the proper cleansing, as soon as he went behind that curtain, he would die. And so they had to keep a rope tied around the high priest's ankle because if he went behind the curtain and he died, nobody could go in and get him. (laughs) They had to pull his body out. (laughs) So this was this is something that's hard for us to understand as modern day Western Christians, because we've never seen the temple or the tabernacle. We have no concept of this, but this was something that was so incredibly significant to the Jewish believers at the time, because they would have understood how significant the Holy of Holies was and how only the high priest had access to that. So when Jesus died and the temple curtain was torn from top to bottom, that was Jesus's way of saying, here is the life that I promised you. The restoration can come now. You can once again walk with God. This is covered in great detail in the book of Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 19. It says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body. Since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. What is the author of Hebrews saying here? Guys, Jesus made a way into the Holy of Holies, and now we can confidently enter into the presence of God. This right here is something that is so underappreciated and so undervalued by us Christians today. We cannot, this is something that that should melt your heart like wax inside of you. We can now be restored to right relationship with God. I think sometimes we don't understand really what that means. It's been fascinating because as I mentioned before, I've been studying apologetics lately. And one of the questions that, you know, they answer in in these books and that I've often had is if, you know, why doesn't God just like show up and make it extremely obvious that he's God? Like, why does they, why does he leave questions? Is there really God? Is there really a creator? And the reality is he does. I mean, he, he did. Jesus, it was that example. But the reason that God came as in the form of Jesus's, you know, it, uh, Jesus came in the form of a manly body, a perfectly human man was, it was part of what was required to satisfy the, the atonement that was required to, to cover our sin. But also we, if we were to enter into the pure presence of God, his his presence is so overwhelming that and this is this is what I, you know what CS Lewis speculates and other apologists his presence is so overwhelming that we would lose our ability to freely choose him because we would be so intoxicated by him that it would be as our our response would be overwhelmed rather than choosing him in other words he leaves us just enough tension that there is a choice to be made Apart from that, we literally would melt in his presence. We were designed and created to be fulfilled by him and him alone. The reason that the world is lashing out and reacting the way that they're reacting right now in in such absurd reactions to things like Roe v. Wade and, and going to such an extreme is because God has written his laws on our hearts. This is what Romans chapter one and two teach us. 
And when we suppress the voice of the Holy Spirit for so long, we're not designed to do that. Our mechanism doesn't function well. And we begin to implode in self-damage in those cases. Now, all of us have been guilty of this at some time. You have made decisions for your life. If you look back now, you would not make again because they were self-destructive decisions. You knew it at the time, but you didn't really want to admit it. Maybe it was drugs or maybe it was alcohol, or maybe it was a pornography or sex addiction of some, some sort. You've done something in your life that looking back now, you were seeking the instant gratification at the cost of a long-term effect. And looking back, you wouldn't have done it. But the only way you walked through those things and did those things was to suppress the voice of the Holy Spirit and suppress your conscience as you walked into those things. And at some point, it catches up with you. And you will hit rock bottom. Why do you think anxiety and depression is on the rise in this country? Because you can only suppress that that God-given nature and that, what has Jesus said? That the Holy Spirit was going to convince the world, to convict the world of sin. There's only so much of that you can suppress before your psychological wires come unhinged because we were not designed to suppress that within us without having to go to another extreme. And so what you end up having to do to, to satisfy that part of you that's screaming and that is the that is the God, that is God calling you and beckoning you to to a higher way. When you have hardened your heart towards Him, then the only thing to do is go to the extreme. And we see this example with Pharaoh. Pharaoh, he had lost everything by the time he chased the Israelites into the Red Sea. He was literally running to his death. A part of him had to have known if I follow them into the Red Sea, it's not going to end well for me because it's the one who has killed the firstborn, brought on all of the plagues and all of the death and all of the all of the things that occurred. He's the one who's holding these waters back. If I go in there, it's not going to end well for me. But that's what we end up doing. We end up like Pharaoh when we suppress God enough that we end up riding headlong into our death knowing in our heart of hearts what we're doing, but so enraged and so consumed with our hatred towards God that we continue on this self-destructive pattern. This is why we can see people screaming about, we need to, we need to introduce the LGBTQ, bi, trans, whatever you want to call it, into Disney characters by the end of the year. And we need to put this material in the schools. Even today, I got an email from Prager University pulling out some more sexually explicit material that's being shared in school systems and people showing up at churches in hospital gowns with fake blood on their dress, on their gowns, screaming, we have the right to murder our babies. This is, this is the byproduct of suppressing the voice of God for an extended period of time. Not only have we been set free from our propensity to harm ourselves, but we've been given life. And what does Hebrews tell us? A clear conscience. For those of you that still feel shame about the things you've done, that shame is not from God. The Holy Spirit will convict you. He will show you the parts of you that need his cleansing touch, where he needs to get in there and clean you. But he will not make you feel shame. Because he is drawing you to himself. He is saying to you, come to me, let me clean you, let me wash you, let me make you whole. It is the enemy that wants you to smell your filth and to see your grossness and to feel ashamed to go before God. It wasn't before the sin. It was after the sin that Adam and Eve hid in shame. It wasn't what God wasn't saying, Adam and Eve, what did you guys do? He was saying, where are you? Being able to enter the most holy place means that for the first time since the fall, we can get back to the way 
we were designed and created to function. It is, it is finally experiencing and understanding what it means to be a human being. I want you just to stop for a minute and look down at your hands. What you're seeing before you is nothing short of a miracle. Blood vessels, tendons, muscles, bones, skin, nerves. And this is one iota of the magnificence of God. You were made in the image of the creator of this universe. And the Bible often talks about the the mighty hand of God, the right hand, the right arm of God. He designed you to live in fellowship with him, to be delighted and satisfied with his presence. Heaven is going to be beyond our imagination, not because it's going to be incredibly beautiful and it will be, not because there won't be sin and there won't be, it will be because what we were designed for, the intimacy, the companionship, the fellowship with God will finally be complete. We don't even begin, we can only begin to imagine. What does the Bible tell us about the Holy Spirit? That he's the deposit, he's the engagement ring. <laughs> the engagement ring is so different than the honeymoon. We have the engagement ring right now, my friends. The honeymoon is coming. We have no idea what is awaiting for us on the other side because we've never been able to experience the unbridled presence of God. But when we do, mark my words, everything it costs you will be worth it. And that is why the gift of being able to walk with God, the gift of being able to enter into the most holy place, the gift of being filled with his Holy Spirit is beyond our comprehension, but we may we endeavor to live every moment of this life trying to experience and understand what that means. May we every day say, Father, teach me what it means to walk with you, to follow you, and to be restored back to you. May we understand what it means to be able to enter the most holy place with confidence. In Galatians, Paul kind of finalizes this and brings it back in Galatians chapter five by saying this in verse 16. So I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want to. But if you were led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Walk by the spirit. This is what it means to walk with God, walking by the spirit, being in tuned to his gentle voice, to his call, to those moment by moments. We are the bride of Christ. Ephesians chapter five, verse 32 explains this. And then in Revelation chapter 19, verse nine, it talks about the marriage supper of the lamb. Did you know that the book of song of Solomon is so very multifaceted because it, it does tell a love story between Solomon and a young bride. But it also tells the story between us and Jesus, his bride, the church, and our groom who's coming to get us. And there's a story in the book of Song of Solomon. And I know I've, I've probably shared it on here before because it is such a, it's such a good reminder to us as to what it means to walk with God. In, cha- in Song of Solomon chapter five, now I'm reading this from the message. And the reason I choose to read Song of Solomon from a paraphrase is there's so much symbolism used in there that it's lost on us. Like, oh, your breasts are like pomegranates. What? 
<laughs> I don't, I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> right. So by, by switching to a paraphrase, it helps us to kind of understand contextually what was being meant, what was meant by those passages. So in song of Solomon five, reading from the message, it says, I was sound asleep, but in my dreams, I was awake. Oh, listen, it's the sound of my, my lover knocking, calling. Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock anybody who lets me in, I will come and dine with him. So there's, we see a lot of, of what is happening here show up in the book of revelation, especially to the church in Laodicea. So in, in, it says, let me in dear companion, dearest friend, my dove consummate lover. I am soaked with the dampness of the night, drenched with the dew, shivering cold. So the groom says to the bride, let me in. And she says, but I'm in my nightgown. Do you expect me to get up and get dressed? I'm bathed and in bed. Do you want me to get dirty? But my lover wouldn't take no for an answer. And the longer he knocked, the more excited I became. I got up to open the door to my lover, sweetly ready to receive him. During desiring and expectant as I turned the door handle. But when I opened the door, he was gone. My loved had tired of waiting me, waiting for me and left. And I died inside. Oh, I felt so bad. I ran out looking for him, but he was nowhere to be found. I called into the darkness, but no answer. The night watchmen found me as they patrolled the streets of the city. They slapped me and beat me and bruised me and ripped off my clothes. These watchmen who were supposed to be guarding the city I beg you, sisters in Jerusalem, if you find my lover, please tell him I want him, that I am heartsick in love for him. We have this analogy where the groom comes and knocks on the door, but she's like, eh, you know, this is kind of inconvenient for me. I don't know if I really do. I want to get up right now. Fine. Okay. He's being persistent. I'll let him in. But by the time she got there, it was too late. He was already gone. He had grown weary of waiting. This is, I, I think, a good warning to us. That when we get carried away by the, the cares of this world, when we get distracted, when we see our faith with God as a checklist rather than a relationship with him, rather than an opportunity to walk with him, then we find ourselves at risk for being that bride. When he knocks, we're not ready. And Jesus warns us over and over again to continually be ready. This is why he, you know, he, the, 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 the crowds who were listening to this would have known this scripture, <laughs> would have understood this passage that I just read you. But I just want you to listen to this last part as I read from, again, Song of Songs or Song of Solomon, starting in verse, first, sorry, chapter six, verse four. Dear, dear friend and lover, you're as beautiful as Tizra, city of delights, lovely as Jerusalem, city of dreams, the ravishing visions of my ecstasy. Your beauty is too much for me. I'm in over my head. I'm not used to this. I can't take it in. Your hair flows and shimmers like a flock of goats in the distance, streaming down a hillside in the sunshine. Your smile is generous and full, expressive and strong and clean. Your veiled cheeks are soft and radiant. There's no one like her on earth. Never has been, never will be. She's a woman beyond compare. My dove is perfection, pure and innocent as the day she was born and cradled in joy by her mother. Everyone who came to see her exclaimed and admired her. All the fathers and mothers and the neighbors and friends blessed and praised her. Has anyone ever seen anything like this? Dawn fresh, moon lovely, sun radiant, ravishing in the night sky with its galaxies of stars. One day I went strolling through the orchard and looking for signs of spring, looking for buds about to burst into flower, anticipating readiness, ripeness, 
Before I knew it, my heart was raptured, carried away by lofty thoughts. Dance, dance, dear Shulamite, angel princess, dance, and we'll feast our eyes on your grace. Everyone wants to see the Shulamite dance, her victory dances of love and peace. That is the heart that Jesus has for you. What does Hebrews tell us? That who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross and scorning its shame. What does it mean to walk with God? It means to be enraptured in love with him. It means to to understand that you are his, I am my beloved's, and he is mine. That we have a love relationship with God that goes beyond human understanding. It means that we spend time in, in the word because we long to hear from him, because we long to be drawn close to him. It means that we spend time in prayer because it's our opportunity to just chat with him and draw close to him and, and bring the cares of the world before him. It means that we spend time with our brothers and sisters because we recognize that they are also his bride, his church, a part of his body. And we have the opportunity to pour into them and love in them, love on them. It means that we spend time in worship because we long to pour out our hearts before him. It means that in the moments when there's silence, our thoughts are drifting to him, pondering a word he gave us, speaking to him. It means that we are looking for opportunities, listening for his voice to serve and to show the world the light of the light, the light of the world, the light of the Lamb of God. It means that we are enraptured by him. We belong to him. We have forsaken the ways of this world. When you hear things like Target is now going to have transgender focus clothing so they can help children who are converting more easily make the, make the change. It's not even a question in your heart. You're not going to go there anymore. Why? You slowly give up your right to be right. <laughs> you begin to become aware of the wickedness that dwells in your heart that you didn't see before. Because you didn't know what it was to listen to the Lord. You had been so busy tuning him out or busy living life or busy just being busy and forgetting that children in your care, you're just a steward of. The spouse in your home, you're called to serve. Your employer, you're called to work for as though you're working for the Lord. Everything in our lives becomes our service to him. And the beauty in that is he. He says that he gives us his Holy Spirit. This is what Peter says. If anybody speaks, let them speak with the word that God provides. And if anybody serves, let them serve with the strength that God provides. That the things that we used to do as everyday things become offerings unto him because we recognize that everything in our life he directs. Every moment, every interaction, every person, everything. When we slowly begin to live like eternity is there and like it really matters and like today and this moment matter and that God is listening to us and he's hearing from us and he's talking to us. One of the saddest things I hear when I continually deal with the heresies on TikTok are these Bible, quote unquote, Bible teachers who teach that God is not still speaking. <laughs> that has got to be one of the most demonic of all the ones that I hear. Once heard a 
quote unquote Bible teacher mock Charles Stanley because Charles was praying about the fact he needed a Thanksgiving turkey and it was the day before Thanksgiving and the Lord told him which grocery store to go to. And sure enough, there was one turkey left in that grocery store and this Bible teacher, <laughs> he thinks God talks to him. And I thought, what Bible is you reading? <laughs> because the Bible that I read says that God wants us to walk with him. So what does it mean to be a Christian in today's world? It means that we, we know that we are the bride of Christ. It means that we want nothing to do with this world from the aspect of it staining our gown, <laughs> distracting us from our mission, potentially distracting us from when he comes to get us. We don't want to become complacent and comfortable so that when he knocks on the door, we fail to answer immediately. We don't want to be torn any longer. We don't want to live like one foot in the world and one foot in Jesus. Instead, we want to be all in Jesus and let everything we do be through him and by him. It means we recognize that heaven is our home and this is our, this is our mission field. We're on duty. And it means that we're going to run the race with perseverance. We're going to recognize that this is not heaven. This is not supposed to be heaven and it's going to hurt. <laughs> as Rich Mullen sings, and on the road to righteousness, sometimes the climb can be so steep and I may falter in my step, but I am never beyond your reach. Oh God, you are my God. It means that we understand that we're taking the narrow road. It means we're not going to fit in. We're going to be going in a different direction than the rest of the world. It means we're going to stand out. We're going to sound different. We're going to look different. We're going to be disliked, hated, despised, and confusing to most people. <laughs> but we're going to look up in the sky. And when the sun is rising and the colors of dawn are an array of colors that are beyond what I could describe, we see our maker. It means that when the birds are singing in the morning, we hear his love over us. It means that... <laughs> When we go about our day, they're just, we see him in everything because he is there talking to us, nudging us, loving on us. He looks at us and he says, your beauty is too much for me. I'm in over my head. He is enthralled by us. And we get the privilege of responding to him moment by moment and day by day. And our time with him is a privilege be it in his word, in prayer, at church, in worship. It's not a duty. It's not a thing we check off our list, but it is a response to being loved, to being sanctified, to being cleaned, to being washed pure. And this, this is something I know I'll spend the rest of my life trying to understand. <laughs> what does it mean to walk with God? I don't really fully know. All I know is that I show up every day expectant because I know that he speaks and I hear him and I see him and I seek him with all my heart because that is what we were designed to do. And I know every day I fall a little bit more in love with him and I never even imagined I could love God like this. <laughs> I never even understood this was beyond my comprehension. And so for those of you who are listening and you're saying, I don't, I don't, this, this is not anything I've ever heard. I don't understand what you're saying. All I can say to you is ask him to teach you. Ask him to lead you. Ask him 
to show you. Ask him to understand what it means to walk with him. Ask him to teach you to learn to follow him. That's what I do. Every day I just say, Father, I don't, I don't have a clue. <laughs> I can barely make it through the day without s- scraping my knees on something. Who am I to know what it means to walk with you? But show me. I'm here. I want to hear from you. I want to follow you. I want to enter into your presence. I, I want a heart like David. I want to love you so deeply. I want to meditate on you in the morning and at night. I want to cry out for you. I want to long for you. I want to be like a bride expectant waiting for her groom to come get her. I want to be a bride worthy of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I want to be a good steward of all that you've given me, my time, my energy, my resources, divine appointments. Teach me, Lord, what it means to walk with you. So what does it mean to be a Christian today? It means to walk with God. What does that mean? Well, we seek him and find out. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Jesus. We thank you that you are life and that you've given it to those of us who've come to you and said, I'm hungry and I'm thirsty. There's darkness in me and I don't know what to do about it. Lord, we are, we are so broken and so blind sometimes to our own ways and to the things of this world. But Lord, we come before you and we confess that you are the good shepherd, that you have created us to walk with you and you have made a way through the high priest. And we thank you for that, Jesus. We thank you for your blood. I just pray for everyone who's listening, anybody who knows what it is to walk, to, walk with you, Lord, that you would just strengthen that walk, that you would sweeten it up. Lord, that they would just walk with joy all the days of their life, longing for the time that you come and bring us home. And for those that are listening, that this is just so foreign to them. But yes, something inside of them itches to know that, yes, this is, this is what I was made for. Lord, I just pray that you would give them eyes to see and ears to hear, that you would teach them, show them. Holy Spirit, you have this amazing way of just leading us to the places we never could have imagined. And so, Father, I just ask that you would touch them now. Just lead them into that. Open their eyes and set them apart. Let them see what it means to truly belong to you, to enter the most holy place with confidence. Lord, just prepare us as your bride. Father, we want to be so lovely, so beautiful, prepared for you when you come to call us home. Jesus, that, that the time that you've been preparing a place for us, we've been preparing ourselves by covering ourselves in your righteousness, by learning to stick so close to you, Lord, that we now are like you because of the work you're doing in us. Transform us, conform us, and put us on a hill. Teach us to just keep our eyes fixed on you when the world is going crazy and when they call us names and and ridicule us. Jesus, you were sitting on the cross, hanging on the cross, (laughs) and they ridiculed you and they mocked you. If you're God, come down off the cross. But for the joy set before you, you, you stayed. Or teach us to have that same perseverance. And just to walk in the spirit. We no longer want to gratify the desires of this flesh or participate in this world. We want there to be a clear distinction that we belong to you. Write your name upon us, Lord. 
We are yours in mind, in heart, in body, and in soul. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and teach us what it means to walk with you. We love you and we pray this in the precious name of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Yeshua Mashiach. Amen. Thank you guys. Have a wonderful, wonderful couple of weeks. And until next time, this has been Made to Conquer. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Made to Conquer. Please be sure to subscribe, leave a review, and tell your friends and family, anyone else you think would enjoy joining us on this journey of drawing closer to Jesus.